You're listening to a sermon by Hope Bible Church Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at hopeniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. Allow me the joy of saying Happy Mother's Day to all those to whom that may apply. A special day for you, but in church, uh, I think it's as important it is to honor our mothers, and we should honor our mothers. That's a very biblical thing to do. Honor your fathers and mothers, right? So we wanna do that to be sure. I think though that in the household of faith, it is also just as important that we honor our spiritual mothers. And by that I mean the women who God has placed in our church family, who's placed, he's placed in our lives, who have ministered to us in incredibly important ways. I think of the women in our church who encourage, who evangelize, who teach, uh, who exhort, who serve, who are ministers of mercy, who counsel, who show and demonstrate the love of Christ in many ways. Uh, we wanna honor you today as well. And uh, my encouragement to you would be that if, if you are able to, certainly, to wish your mother a happy Mother's Day and to let your mother know uh, that you are grateful to God for her, but I would also equally just as strongly encourage you to say something to your spiritual mothers. That may be your mother, but to let, to let the, uh, if there is a woman in your life or women in your life who have had an impact on you for the sake of Christ and the gospel and your spiritual growth to let them know that too. And because that will not only encourage them, but I believe that would honor the Lord and uh, it would be a good thing for us to do. So uh, we were so grateful for our mothers, our, our moms and our spiritual mothers, so grateful for them. And I heard a rumor that there's chocolate or something out there. Is that right? So maybe it's all gone and uh, I don't know. But uh, all I know is that men, that's not for you, okay? It's not for me, not for you. So, but it's certainly for our ladies and uh, to bless you today. Well, if you would turn your Bibles, please, to Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to be in verses 8 and 9 this morning, Philippians 4. And I know that over the course of this series that we've called To Live as Christ, we've kind of been in and out of it. There's been different things have come up and different seasons have come our way. Of course, most recently we had Easter. Uh, but this morning we're back into Philippians chapter 4, continuing our teaching series through this epistle. We've called the series To Live is Christ. Now, as you're turning there, I want to play a little game with you. I'm going to play a little name that tune, okay? So you ready? A little name that tune. I'm going to give you some hints and see if you can figure out what the song is, all right? So uh, first clue is the song was released in 1988. All of our millennials are like, I, I'm out. I got no idea, all right? 1988. Some of you, your eyes just perked up. It's like, oh, I got a chance at this one. All right, 1988. It spent two weeks at number one on the charts. It was the first a cappella song to reach the Billboard Top 100. It won three Grammys, including Song of the Year. It was sung by Bobby McFerrin. Oh, I know, I know. And it came out with the movie Cocktail, starring Tom Cruise. Okay, what's the song? Anybody know? Don't worry, be happy. Don't worry, be happy now. Don't worry. You know what, Sue, right? Be happy. I thought you were going to sing it with me. No, okay. ah. 
left me hanging up here. That's right. Here's a little song I wrote. You might want to sing it note for note, and don't worry. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy now. Isn't that a great little ditty? Now, I remember this song. I remember it being super popular. And, uh, and it's understandable. In fact, I would say there's actually a little ounce of wisdom, a little ounce of wisdom in the song, because there is something about singing a little ditty that can sometimes just help reset ourselves and put a smile on our face and a dance in our step. I remember being a pretty popular song, and it's catchy, and now some of you, it's going to be in your head all day, and you are going to be saying at the end of the day, I hate our pastor. <laughs> but it's also a song I recall people not liking. Not liking because it's like I was singing this song last night to my daughter, and she's like, mm, that's a lot easier said than done. It's like, yeah, that's true, right? It's, it is a lot easier said than done. Don't worry, be happy. Oh, yeah, thanks for the word, right? You're really worried. Just don't worry, be happy. Oh, okay. I wish I'd thought of that. All my problems are gone now. It's so infuriating, actually. There's nothing more infuriating when you're worried or anxious. Like, you worry too much. You, just, you want to hurt that person sometimes. You don't because you're a Christian, but you do. And I know it's cathartic for you to hear that. So there you go. Try not to worry. You worry too much. The, re- the problem with the song, of course, is it doesn't really offer any solutions. It just says, just don't worry. Be happy. But nobody wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I think I'll try to worry today. You know, I haven't been worrying enough lately. I'm going to try better at worrying. Nobody says that. And, and the reality is, too, of course, I mean, anxiety, not only does it just come our way naturally, we've got lots to be anxious about. Let's just face it. Let's not pretend. Reality is there's all kinds of uncertainty and instability in our lives. We've got tensions. We've got relational issues. Uh, there's, there's people that we love whom we have difficulty with. We've got children who struggle, marriages with problems, all kinds of things to be really anxious about. And then it's like we talked about a few weeks ago. There's also that reality, what counselors call it, free-floating anxiety, where sometimes anxiety can just come upon you like out of nowhere, and then you become anxious about being anxious. Lots of us know what that's like, that experience. And so it's not enough just to say, don't worry, be happy. I, that's not going to do it for me. And that's, I think, a lot of reason why lots of people didn't or don't like the song. Because what we need in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the chaos, in the face of anxiety, is peace. Real peace. And that's what I think is so wonderful about our scripture text today is it is for us a real God-given resource to supply us with peace. The best kind of peace. I would say the only true peace. Peace that comes from God. You know, when Paul wrote to the Philippians, when he got into chapter 4, he gave them a direct exhortation. In fact, you can just look a few verses earlier from the one I gave you in Philippians 4 and verse 6. And he said there, do not be anxious about anything. Now, if that's where he stopped, we'd be like, oh, Paul was in the Bobby McFerrin too. <laughs> Don't worry, be happy now. Get the church choir singing it, right? That's, that's Paul's solution? No, it's not. He says, do not be anxious about anything. But then he says, but in everything, now here's resource, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So a few weeks ago, when we were in this part of Philippians 4, we noted 
that what Paul tells us here is that we can overcome our anxieties, we can confront our anxieties by taking our anxieties to God in prayer, talking to him and bringing it before him. And when we do that, Paul says we can anticipate something. We can anticipate, verse 7, the peace of God. It's a peace that comes from God which surpasses all understanding and it will do something for you. It'll do a couple of things. It will guard your hearts, he says. You see that? And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. So to guard your heart from becoming bitter or angry or doubtful in the midst of your fears and anxieties. And it'll also guard your minds. You see that? And it'll guard your minds in Christ. To keep you from becoming unfaithful. We find sometimes in the midst of pressure, we find ourselves tempted to be looking for any way out of it, even if it's an unfaithful way. But the peace of God guards our hearts and our minds to give us real peace and to keep us close to Jesus and pursuing Jesus, even in the face of intermittent or chronic anxiety. It's a real resource. Now, if you remember, if you were here, remember, at the close of my sermon, when we're looking at this part, I acknowledge the fact that some of you would hear this, read this, and be super frustrated. Because you'd say, Ross, I hear your answer. You say the scripture says, I can see it in my Bible. It says, pray about it, pray. But you don't understand. I've tried that, and it doesn't work. To which I said at the time, one, have you really prayed? Like, have, have you really prayed? Have you enlisted others to pray with you, for you? Have, have you prayed? But you also might remember I said this, that that's not all that Paul has to say in this book about confronting anxiety. He's got more to say. And that's where we come to verses 8 and 9 today. You see, we overcome our anxieties in part by bringing our anxieties to God in prayer. But Paul says there's more that we can do that we should do in pursuing this experience of God's peace. Look what he says in verse 8. He says, finally, brothers, or brothers and sisters, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And notice, the God of peace will be with you. Now, if you're dealing with anxiety, I would say what you need is the God of peace to be with you. Amen. But you notice there's a condition here. You want the God of peace to be with you. Oh, that's awesome. Now, there's some things that we're called to do that are vital in this, in experiencing God's peace. In fact, we see here in verses 8 and 9, there's an assurance. And the assurance is that the very presence of the God of peace. That's what we need. And we'll, so we'll, we'll unpack that in a moment. But we, what we need is God. That's what you need. You need God. An experience of him, the God of peace, being with you. But it's conditional on applying two instructions. The first instruction has to do with our thinking. So there's a whole list here. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellence, worthy of praise. Think about these things. 
And then he says there's, the second has to do with our actions. There's practices for us to apply. He says what you've learned and heard, uh, sorry, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And then he says the God, the, the God of peace will be with you. So there's the, the, the assurance that the God of peace will be with you, but there is instructions for us to heed and apply for us to experience that peace. So let me, let me take these one at a time. Let's start with the assurance. The God of peace will be with you. See that at the end of verse nine? The God of peace will be with you. Just ask, read that and ask yourself, is that what I need? That's what I need. Let me just say this. The greatest power for overcoming anxiety in your life is the presence of God. The greatest, the greatest power for overcoming, confronting, facing down anxiety in your life, the greatest power is the presence of God. He is the peace bringer. There's a baseball player they call the bringer of rain. God is the bringer of peace through Jesus. The God of peace would be with you. You know, there's a sense in which in Christ, God is always with you. In fact, there's a sense in which the reality is that God is everywhere. It's a clear teaching of scripture that God is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. And there's a sense in which you, as a follower of Jesus Christ, he's always with you. His spirit indwells you. Isn't it amazing that we're never separated from him? That's why Paul talks about that nothing will ever separate us from the love of God. Of course, part of that reality is that the spirit of God indwells us. It's an awesome thing. But there's a sense in which when you read this verse, you get the sense that Paul is talking about something more than just merely the awesomeness of the spirit indwelling but rather also a felt, real sense of his presence. And that's what Paul, I think, is talking about here, about uh, times in Scripture when the Bible talks about God being present with us in a way that brings us joy and renews our hope and gives us strength. Like, I think of, for example, uh, uh, Psalm 23, verse 4, that says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. You are with me. You're here. So you being here with me and a knowingness of you being here with me pushes out my fears. Because you are here. It's not that that's not scary anymore, but it's just I got you and you're bigger than that and I know you're here. I'm not just trying to talk myself into the thought that you're here. I, I know that you're here. That's experiencing the, the, the God of peace, his presence. Or how about Isaiah 43 verses one and two? Fear not, God says. Fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, it's not talking about the kiddie pool in your yard. It's talking about the deep waters of trouble and trial. When you pass through the waters and it's scary and gives you anxiety. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Oh, that's a difference-making reality in our lives. That God, God is with me. Or how about Jesus' words? Matthew 28, 20, he said, I am with you always. Why did he tell them that? Because he wanted to encourage them and assure them and remind them that the strength to do comes from me, not from you. Well, that even rhymed. Isn't that awesome? I didn't even have it written down. 
The strength to do comes from me, not from you. Talk about Jesus. It's good. Somebody should write that down. It's a peace that's born out of the assurance, listen, that God is God, that God is good, that God is able, that God is faithful, and that he's here and with me now. The greatest power for overcoming anxiety is the presence of God. And you know, think about, think about worship music, different worship songs you know, old and new, that wonder at this, that are written to encourage and remind us about the, the preciousness of the presence of God to give us courage and peace. Think of like, like a more contemporary song, like I Am Not Alone. You know that song? I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. Have you heard that song? Such a good song. Some of you need to listen to that song. You're not alone. Or if you're from a different generation, like you, before 1988, maybe you remember a, a hymn like, Nearer My God to Thee. Nearer my God to Thee. Nearer to Thee. In though I be a cross, that something, something. I wrote it down, but I can't read what I wrote down. That raiseth me. There it is. That raiseth me. It's not something, something. That's not going to encourage you. <laughs> Still all my song shall be nearer my God to thee. Do you know on um, something really big happened on April the 14th, 1912? What happened April 14th, 1912? Who remembers? Titanic. The Titanic sunk. And it said that as the ship is taking on water and listing, the band was on the deck of the ship playing a hymn. You know what they were playing? It wasn't Don't Worry, Be Happy. It was Nearer My God to Thee. See, loved ones, when it comes to facing down anxiety in your life, there's, listen, you can, there are strategies that you can use. And I'm not down on strategies. Things like self-talk. and they, I'm, I'm not down on that at all. Do not mishear me. Those things have a, have a place. There are therapies I can undergo. There are certain medical interventions that you may consider that can grant you a measure of relief from the effects of your anxiety. Do not misunderstand me. I'm not down or I, I'm not commenting on those things here this morning. But what I am saying is, dear Christian, get it in your mind and in your heart that the greatest power for overcoming anxiety in your life is the presence of God. Amen. That's decisive. He's the difference maker. It's the greatest power. But of course, that brings us to the question of like, how do I experience that? You could be sitting here today and saying, that sounds to me like that is exactly what I need. And I, I want that. But how, how do I experience more of that? What do I do? Well, that's what Paul addresses in verse 8. The assurance in verse 9 is about the, the God of peace will be with you. But what he says before that is critical for us to really experiencing God's peace, the peace of his presence. And notice he, he talks about two things. He talks about, first of all, what we do in our minds and then what we do in our living. Our minds and our living. 
Verse eight, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Think about these things. Make a note of this. Overcoming anxiety requires sanctified thinking. You say, whatified thinking? Sanctified thinking. It's a churchy word that means set apart unto God, godly, sanctified thinking. If you and I are going to experience the real presence of God, we're going to have to give some attention to what goes on in here. In particular, what we are focusing on, what we're fixing our minds on. He says, think about these things, these true, honorable, just, pure, lovely things. Think about these things. Or the New American Standard says, dwell upon these things. Or the New Living says, fix your thoughts on these things, like fasten your thinking to these things. What you focus your mind on, what you invest your mind in, what you spend your mental energy on, even I think the opinions that you hold, the positions you take in terms of how they consume your mind and your thinking, all of these things are factors. What and how you think shows up in your living and in your sense of God's presence and peace. That's what Paul says. We need to do, we need to, we need to dwell on certain things. Sanctified thinking. Now Paul gives us here uh, categories of assessment to see is, does my thinking measure up here? Like, like what, so sanctified thinking, okay, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, he says, he gives us all kinds of things. Think about things that are true. Do you focus your mind on things that are true? Well, how do you know if something's true? Well, you know it's true if it's from God's word. So you know that's true. So if you want to think about things that are true, good idea is to focus your thinking and your minds on what God says rather than what people say. See, when we don't focus on what's true, we get ourselves, we get our brains into confusion and clouds of, of falsehood. And we can become easily deceived when we're not anchored in the truth, in our minds. Or things that are honorable. When I don't focus on what's honorable, I allow my mind to be perpetually entertained by things that are shameful. Hey, listen, if your mind, if your brain spends a lot of time in things that are not honorable, I'm going to tell you something, you will not experience the peace of God because he's not down with that. The Holy Spirit is not delighted in that. He's not going to fill you with joy when you're filling your mind with crap. Whatever is just. See, when I'm not focused on what's just, my mind's not on mission. I, I'm not thinking of ministering to others. You know that's a big reason why we're here, right? To be on ministry, to serve others, to make disciples, to think about what's pure, to think about what's pure. When I don't focus on what's pure, my mind is steeped in impurity. And I would say, too, that when your mind is steeped in impurity, you probably have not a sense of peace, but probably a sense of guilt. And you should if your mind is dwelling on dirty things, immoral things. The scary thing is, is when you don't feel guilt anymore, your heart gets calloused. Why don't I experience the peace of God? Well, because of all the nonsense and immorality your mind is filled with. 
Whatever is pure. He says, whatever is lovely. See, when I don't focus on what's lovely, I'm settling my mind on things that God doesn't delight in. When I don't focus on things that are commendable, my heart is uninspired and made dull. See, there's a real connection between your head and your heart. You fill your heart through your head. What you want and long for is that sense of the peace of God in your heart. But Paul says, the war, the battlefield is in your mind. So, pastor, great. How then do I pursue sanctified thinking? Well, to pursue sanctified thinking, I must be careful about what I focus my mind on. What I focus my mind on. The Bible repeatedly tells us to be intentional about what we think about. It's really, you can, you can miss it if you're not paying attention. I'll just give you a few examples. Colossians 3, verse 2, Paul says, set your mind on things that are above. Think about that. Think about that. <laughs> set your mind on things that are above. Okay, not the birds in the clouds, although that has a place too. Thinking about the wonder of God's creation. But it means thinking about godly things. Think about the things of the Lord. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Now, I don't believe that Paul imagines here a whole bunch of aloof Christians totally unaware of what's going on around them. Of course, the Apostle Paul was very aware of what was going on around him. But where he fixed his focus was not on these things in the immediate, but the things that are eternal and the things that are of the Lord. That's why he lived his life on mission, because his head was there. Or how about Philippians 3.15, we studied a while back, about this eternal perspective we're to have. Paul said, let those of us who are mature think this way. There's a way of thinking, a sanctified thinking. Isaiah 26.3, here's, here's one of my many favorite verses. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you. It's kind of like a weird way of saying, whose mind is focused on you, settled on you. You keep him in perfect peace. That's what I want. That's what I need. Then fix your mind on things that are above. You see, to pursue sanctified thinking, I must be careful what I focus my mind on, and therefore, I also must be careful about what I fill my mind with. You will focus your mind on what you fill your mind with. So let me ask you, what do you fill your mind with? I asked myself that question this morning as I was preparing to come to church and preach to you. I'm likely to focus on whatever my mind's filled with. Here's what I think happens to lots of us. You go to church, you hear a sermon, and we hear a sermon like, listen, they want to deal with anxiety, you need to pray, you need to bring them before God. Okay, that's a good practical instruction. Sounds biblical. I can see it's biblical. Sounds spiritual. I'm going to do that. So I take it to prayer, and I'm like, God, you know these anxieties I have. Maybe it's over people in my life. Maybe it's circumstances. Maybe it's things that I can't even put my finger on. I bring them to you in prayer, God. I cry out to you. I ask you to come and to help, and that is significant. That is biblical. That's right. Paul said you need to do that. So we're not blowing past that. But here's what I think happens sometimes. I think that... We hear that, and we go, and then we take it to God in prayer, and then we say amen, and then we go and binge watch Netflix. 
and then spend countless minutes, hours maybe, scrolling through social media. And then we got in the background, we've got the 24-hour news station on, bearing us great tidings of good, of good news and glad joy, right? And then we go to bed at the end of the night and we try to sleep and we're filled with anxiety. We're like, God, give me peace. But we're missing this piece here, this, this piece of this puzzle about what I fill my mind with. There are so many powerful influences that you receive into your mind. Don't be fooled about how those things affect you. They do. You want to have sanctified thinking? Put sanctified things into your brain. Listen to good music. Be, be mindful of what do I hear in the background? Now, some of you are just like, Ross, you have no idea. I work at a shop, and they got on what they're going to play, and there ain't, you can't change that without getting your hand broken. I get it. I get it. But what do you do when it's your dial? What's on? What's, what's playing in your house? What's the soundtrack of your home? Listen to good music. Read good books. You say, I'm not a reader. Some of you are. Lots of you are. Read some good books. Listen to biblical teaching. Partake of Christian fellowship. It's one of the many reasons why being in a small group is so important. Because a small group helps us to be thinking about biblical, godly, good things. They help us from doing that which we often do in our minds. Maybe I do anyway. Maybe you don't. I do. I find my mind drifts super easy. Like I go from crying out to God in prayer to thinking about how the game's going to go in Tampa Bay tonight. And I get over here and I get thinking about line combination. Like, wait a minute. How did I get... How did I get over here? It's just like when you're out, you know, floating in the water in the summertime, and you know, you're talking, you look around, and you look and you realize, you know what? I started out floating here, and now I'm way over here, and I didn't even notice myself drift. That's what happens in our brains all the time. That's why we need fellowship. That's why we need the word. That's why we need biblical teaching. Because without being paying attention to what I fill my mind with, my mind will drift and wander into all kinds of deep, dark hours. So, loved ones, pursue sanctified thinking by being careful about what you focus your mind on and what you fill your mind with. It's so important. You want to experience the peace of God, the God of peace, his presence? He is present with you, dear Christian. He will never leave you nor forsake you. But to know and to experience the reality of his presence, we've got to fix our minds on him. That's what I mean when I talk about sanctified thinking. Overcoming anxiety requires sanctified thinking. And there's a part of me that thinks, well, that, that would be enough because I think so much of our Christian life is about a battle in our minds. But it's, it's interesting to me that Paul doesn't stop there. He says one more thing. He says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. In other words, do these things. And the God of peace will be with you. So overcoming anxiety requires sanctified thinking, but also overcoming anxiety requires sanctified living. 
sanctified living, set apart living. That is a life committed to, to living for God, answering his call on my life and walking in obedience. What Paul told the Philippian church, and remember, the Philippian church, they had lots to be anxious about. Okay, this is not a carefree, footloose church. I don't know if I've told you this enough, but you know that the church of Philippi was incredibly poor. Incredibly poor. In fact, if you, read, if you were to read in your scriptures later today, you could go to um, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, where Paul makes reference to the church at Macedonia. That, that was Philippi. They were there in Macedonia and how poor they were and afflicted. And you remember earlier in our study, we, we noted that they were persecuted and they, there was pressure that they faced and there was internal dissension. There's some people not getting along in the church and there was some doctrinal stuff they were, they were having to sort out. They had lots of things to be anxious about. And not only that, they loved Paul. They loved him and he was in prison for Jesus. Many, many things to be anxious about. And Paul here knows this is a church that needs to be refreshed in the peace of God. And so what he tells him, he's telling him, here, here's how you can experience God's peace. And this peace here in the end is so important. He said, there's, there's a life we're called to live. You've got to live that life. You've got to, he says, what you've learned. Some of those, you know, the, the truth that you've been taught the truth you've been taught, what you've received, it's the, the gospel handed down to you, what you've received, uh, what you've seen, sorry, what you've learned, what you've received, what you've heard, heard and seen, so that the teaching and then the example, what you've seen in me, practice these things. See, it's one thing to know them. It's important that you know them. But it's also critical that you do them. So Jesus said, is your, you know, you've heard these things, that's good, but blessed are you if you do these things. Speaking of his teaching, overcoming anxiety requires sanctified living. This is so key, so key. Listen to what Jesus says, John 14, 23. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him. And listen, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's what I want. I want the joy of God's presence. Then we're called to obedience. See, here's the issue. Here's what I think is the issue. We have to understand this. There is no peace in rebellion. There's no peace in rebellion. Where there's love for Jesus, there's obedience. And where there's obedience, there is the experienced presence of the Lord. See, I think what happens to us is we know and we long for the peace of God. But when we are unfaithful to the Lord and resistant to his word and not submitting to him, when we live in disobedience, what happens is in our hearts, we create a serious dissonance between what I know to be true and believe versus what I'm doing. And our own hearts convict us because we know I'm not being faithful. And we feel guilty and we feel ashamed and we can begin to feel that distance. Some of you today know that distance. You know it. You've come here today and I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you're here because this might be the day. I believe this is no accident you're here today. You are here because a sovereign, loving God is chasing you down. 
and saying, I love you too much to just let you wander away and waste your life. You are here today because he is chasing you down to bring you back to him into fellowship with him, to know him, and to experience this peace that the Bible's talking about that's real, that'll blow your neighbor's minds. It'll surpass their understanding. He's got you here, but here's what happens. If you don't come back to him, when you, when you live in rebellion to him, there's this divide, there's this dissonance between what you know and believe to be true versus what you do. And it creates you all kinds of sense of, uh, of shame and guilt, and you get further and further away from God, and you're not experiencing the presence of his peace because you're not walking in peace with him. And so you see, it requires sanctified thinking and sanctified living. That when you trust him, when you obey him, you experience his peace. Psalm 23 says of the Lord, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Just imagine, just you're a little sheepy and your good shepherd leads you along in green pastures. They love, I don't know anything about sheep, but my dog loves green pastures. Like in our yard, when the grass is going real good, he's out there munching away, and I'm sure you'll say it's because he has tummy problems. I don't know, he seems fine to me. He likes eating grass. I, I don't know. It's things I like to eat too that people think is weird, but I just think of that. He leads me in green pastures, leads me beside still waters. You're a little sheep. You're scared of everything, not particularly smart. And you're, I'm not saying you're dumb, I'm just saying that, you know, Maybe not as smart as you think you are. And the shepherd leads you beside still waters. You're not going to be too afraid of the waters. You're not going to fall in and drown with your big wool coat on you. you get, it's a peaceful scene. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Dear loved one, what happens if the Lord is saying to you, come over here, come over here. There's still waters here. Come over here. And you say, no, no, I'm not going your way. See, I'm going my way because I'm the decider and I know you are holding out on me because you see, there's this thing over here that you say is not good for me, but I believe it's going to thrill me. It's going to satisfy me more than you do. I think you're holding out on me, so I'm going over here. He says, come over here. I'm going to lead you to green pastures and beside still waters. And we say, no, no, I'm going over here because I know better. What's, how's that going to work out for you? And then you come back to church and say, I prayed and I got no peace. You see? I think that's why Paul says, listen, overcoming anxiety, if you want to experience the, the peace of God's presence, the God of peace, it requires sanctified living. Will you come under his good leadership? Will you let him be your shepherd? Will you go the way with him to green pastures and still waters? He leads us beside still waters. And when we go through the dark valley, following his lead, it is scary. And there is anxiety. And it ain't easy. It's not all, don't worry, be happy now. I don't know, that's the dream world. But in the face of our fears, in the face of our anxieties, we have with us a real, not pretending, not trying to talk myself into it, but a real peace because God is with me and he gives me strength. Isn't, isn't that what you need? Isn't that what you want? Then go his way. Come his way. 
The greatest power for overcoming anxiety is the presence of God, the God of peace. Practice these things, Paul says, and the God of peace will be with you. Overcoming anxiety requires sanctified thinking, what you fix your mind on, what you fill your mind with, and it requires sanctified living. Welcoming his presence, enjoying his presence, walking his way. Let me ask you this as I close. When we think about sanctified thinking, I want to ask you, I wrote this down myself in my journal. Okay, I'm not up here just preaching at you. I wrote this down in my own journal. This is exactly what I wrote. What does my mind need less of? What does my mind need less of? What does my mind need more of? Would you ask yourself that question? Think about it. Do, do a little mind audit for the day. It'll be super weird, but it'll be really fruitful. Pay attention. What's going in here? Through these. Through these. What's going in here? Do a little mind audit. What does my mind need less of? What does my mind need more of? Sanctified thinking. Sanctified living. I wrote this down. Maybe you write it down too. Is there obedience to which I am called that is not happening? Is there obedience to which I am called? Like, I know this is what the Lord wants me to do. I know it. But it's not happening. Or, another way to ask it, is there rebellion that I'm not abandoning? Is there a response to God that I'm not giving? Sanctified living. Dear Christian, you and I are called to sanctified living, sanctified thinking that brings to us the reality of the God of peace. And I should say this. I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. I think that if you're listening to this sermon, you're like, this is something I need and something I want. You need to understand this one last thing. There's one last thing. I promise I'm done after this. You will never experience the peace of God unless you have firstly peace with God. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? Like, the reality is, is that the Bible calls us to look away from ourselves and trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. And when we have our sins forgiven, see, Jesus died to pay for our sins. That's what Easter was all about. He died to pay for our sins so that we can be forgiven, so that we can have peace with God. See, without that, we don't have peace with God. And you will never really have the peace of God. But when you look to Jesus and you trust in him, your sins are forgiven and you can have peace with him. And then when you have peace with him, then you can experience the peace that comes from him. And so for maybe for some of you, while, while many of you in the room today are thinking about sanctified thinking, sanctified living, maybe for some, the call for you is to enter into a relationship with God through Jesus, whereby finally you got peace with him. And I'm telling you, once you have peace with him, then you will experience peace from him. That'll blow your mind. It will. You don't believe me? Try them out. Father, as we think about these things, and as we 
respond to these things. I pray, Lord, for a work of your spirit that we would not just have heard, but today that we would respond to you. That our lives would be marked by faith that's evidenced in obedience. And that our minds, Lord, would be changed, would be transformed as we feast on that which is true and just and lovely and commendable. Lord, I pray, Lord, for those who really struggle in their minds, that you would give them much grace to be focusing on that which is honorable and lovely and true and precious in your sight. And give them grace, Lord, to reduce the noise and the things that are not helpful for their souls. I pray, Lord, that you would banish from our hearts unhealthy hunger for things that fill our minds up with junk. And that you would make us people who have sanctified living, not because we've just determined it, but because your spirit is working in us to produce it. And as we do that, Lord, we pray, we pray that you would come with this, this promise, this assurance with peace, the peace of your presence. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.